Uh, welcome to uh, an addendum to this episode, I guess. Uh, Redendum? We haven't recorded the episode yet. <laughs> uh, Redendum. Sure. I've, uh, I've decided that that's, that's the word we'll be using, Predendum. Perfect. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, I have been working on a review game, which I've been able to talk about the past two weeks. Uh, because it's been killing you. Yes, because it's been uh, embargoed until uh, the day after this episode goes up. So uh, I have been playing Sharon the Wanderer 6, a.k.a. Sharon the Wanderer, the Mystery Dungeon of Serpent Coil Isle. It's the English title. Because uh, there's no way to translate one of those titles in a short manner. Of course not. <laughs> also, you wouldn't want to say Shiran 6 because it would confuse a lot of people. Yeah, because there has never been a numbered Shiran in the U.S. <laughs> it's been um, uh, Shiran... It's hard Mist- to keep track of which one's which. Yes, it was Mystery Dungeon Shiran the Wanderer on DS. And then... I'm guessing Mystery Dungeons were out of style because Atlas released the Wii game as just Sharon the Wanderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we got Nothing Until Five, which they released as uh, Sharon the Wanderer, Tower of Fortune, and the Dice of Fate. I remember that one. Yeah. And that one we got on Vita, even though it was originally a DS game that came out in 2010. <laughs> So I been, remember covering it, yes. <laughs> it has been that long since we got a freaking brand new sharing game. Uh, and, on, and honestly, I'm not sure who else was going to pick up this game to review. So uh, I guess no it, was, one. it was good timing. That I was going to say, even if we were interested, we would still give it to you first. That's, that's probably true. <laughs> so yeah, I, I've been playing Sharing 6. I actually rolled credits less than a week after getting the review code. Because mm. uh, I just bashed my head against it. And thankfully it did not have the problem which 5 did, which had 5 had an incredibly infuriating final boss where, you know, it could summon extra monsters, which is, you know, that's that's fine. But the issue was it was completely random. It could be, well, it's going to summon an extra monster, maybe every, like, 10 turns or so or I think I had one run where it uh, respawned it like every other turn and it was just impossible uh, Dice of Fate indeed Yes, in case, and, and of course if you're wondering well how the hell long would this take the answer is well I uh, saved scum because the Vita has cloud saves and you can Upload and re-download your save. So I had a save right before the final boss and kept re-downloading my cloud save. So I tried it a bunch of times. And I can tell you that the variance in that boss was really fucking annoying. (laughs) Uh, And thankfully that's not the case here. Um, And generally, I think as far as uh, like mystery dungeon games go. I don't want to say it's on the easier side because th- th- this game kicked my ass uh, at times if I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> um, but like it felt fair. 
like I, I can't recall an instance of a death other than like dying on the first floor where I missed all my decks. That happened like once or twice, which is fine. But other than that, there was never a death where it's like, well, you know, just luck of the draw. I was like, well, I could have used my items better here, or I didn't use my items. I just kept trying to attack this enemy, and that was dumb. Uh, but, I mean, other than that, it's kind of your typical uh, mystery dungeon. Um there's going to be a lot of like features that are new to us. Like there's these like almost FOE style giant monsters on some of the later floors. Uh, but I guess that was a feature in a previous one that we didn't get. And I think maybe two. Uh, and there's like the sumo mode. If you can increase your max uh, hunger meter to a certain amount, you become like giant Sheeran and you can deal down get extra health deal extra damage that kind of thing uh but i never actually found a situation in the normal dungeon crawl where that happened there's like a bonus dungeon that kind of teaches you the mechanic where it starts you off in that state and that was the only time i really messed around with it um so i mean other than that it's you know making your way through the dungeon making careful use of the items you pick up um reading all the item and descriptions it's incredibly important uh because mm -hmm. uh like even the weapons like there was one weapon that had a lower attack and that i just ignored and it's just like this thing has a weird name i'm gonna read the description and it was like oh this attacks um like all three squares in front of you at once so yeah Ooh, that's good yeah it was it's pretty good uh, and I think the luckiest item I got was I got this bracelet, and I'm just like, oh, uh, fortune bracelet, that sounds cool. What does this do? Oh, you gain an experience every turn that passes. Ooh. So you Fortunate. Could, yes. You, so you could just, like, s sit and, because you can pass turns and, uh, and just kind of make the animation as you, like, walk in place. Uh, which mm -hmm. is typical for these games. Uh, but that means you sit there and you gain experience. So I would sit like near the the stairway to the next level, you know, occasionally you'd fight whatever monsters spawn, but just sit there gaining experience and just uh, make uh, grinding much, much easier. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I mean, the, the game's got a really nice look to it. It's not... 2d sprites anymore it's like uh 3d models so it's got a nice consistent look throughout it looks more modern doesn't look like a ds game that doesn't look like a port of a veto game that was a port of a five-year-old ds game that in turn came out 10 months after Shiran 4 yes <laughs> and... those both came out in 2010 that's a deranged release schedule i wonder if they had regrets about Shiran 4 now that I've played it. <laughs> no, they were in development at the same time. Okay. I was say, that usually points to the first one having a more problematic development cycle. They got it delayed. As I know that happened with the um, with a couple of the Italia games on the DS. Allegedly, Where, uh, they had yeah. difficulty... Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I was going to say... Uh, oh, allegedly for Shirin or allegedly for Italia. 
Uh, Sharon. Okay. Now, with the telly, it was just that Annie had a delay for some of the stuff that was supposed to come with the, the package box, special box. So it got delayed like six months. Yikes. And so, it, and so Annie and Lena came out in the same year. By accident. Mm. But they're both good games. It's just um, there was a delay on the first one. Allegedly, the development of 4 had issues with coming up with new features, and so some of them were actually pillaged from 5 in mid-development. Oh, jeez. Oh, dear. Weird times, weird so nothing, times. nothing to do with the pro problematic uh, Pacific Islander... Um, no, that was its is. own bad idea. Okay. <laughs> uh, but Sharon 6 has none of that, and... Um, you know, this is a series that can really feel like <coughs> obtuse when you start to play it. Like, you know, what the hell am I supposed it's a to even be doing? Yeah, yeah, right. But this game, I, I even though obviously I have I have experience, but this game felt like it was trying to alleviate that a lot. Like, you know, you go into towns and there's NPCs, and a lot of times in these games, obviously that text is useless it's just like little story flavors but in this game it felt like any story any character in a village you talk to had tips for what to do in dungeons or oh you know this item can do this or you know this monster might do that and you know it's phrased nicely so it feels organic instead of you know the the game just straight out giving you information and uh, some of the like main story sequences felt the same way too. Like there'd be a little subplot that would lead to basically a major new mechanic being introduced, or you can find these monsters in the dungeon now, and if you throw items at them and then kill the monster, it'll pop out a new item from based on whatever you threw at it. Stuff like that. It's you know these games generally are unfriendly. Um, and this one felt by like right by design, and this one, as hard as it could be, it always felt like the game wants me to succeed, and it's going to give me as many things to succeed as it possibly can. It's not just going to let you win, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it's going to do its best to teach you all its interest intricacies without even overtly doing so. So uh, that really impressed me about it. Um, but, you know, if uh, despite that, if, if this type of game is not your thing, then this game is probably not for you. Um, I'm already asleep. <laughs> if you tried one or two and they weren't your thing, I would say uh, try this one for sure. Um, and I mean, if you're a fan of uh, roguelites and dungeon crawlers like this, then definitely pick it up. It's it's definitely worth your time. I've still been say, going through it. If you're a fan of roguelikes, it's probably already on your list. Yeah. It should yeah. be. I mean, the story's not anything to write home about, but, you know, it's fun. And it's roguelike. <laughs> there's a lot left unresolved after you roll credits, so there's still reason to go through, and there's lots of side dungeons to explore. And uh, once I'm able to stream it, I think I'm going to be uh, using the rescue feature to try and go help other players um, on stream. 
like maybe once a week. Because uh, that's a really cool feature. You can go on rescues and on successful ones, you get like currency you can use on future rescues uh, to buy bonuses like start 10 levels higher or start I think start with certain weapons and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, like I said, it's it just it, it feels like the perfect encapsula- encapsulation I can't talk of what this series is and just like with a nice modern presentation that you know Sharon 5 is a fine looking game but when I went to go play it on stream like last week it felt it felt dated like not just how it looks but how characters moved and animated it didn't feel the Mm -hmm. best so it's nice to see the series get an update so yeah highly recommend it to people the when you listen to this the review should be on the site and check it out and that's all I got to say about that now we gotta wake up Dave to record why would you do that to me <laughs> I want to sleep Welcome to Q&A Quest episode 345. I am your host, Mike the Wanderer, and with me as always... Featuring Dave Inferni, Fama Master, welcome to the next level in Super 32X World. Nice. And what? And once again at home with a small child napping in the other room, your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaiji Minogatari. She's not like sick how... this week, thankfully. Oh, that's that's good. good. Nice. Yeah, it's it's just a public holiday, and she went and did some stuff in the morning, and she came back. She's tired. I appreciate that uh, we all responded to a reference to the Japanese box art of Knuckles Chaotix with nice. <laughs> did not know that's what it was referring to. Welcome to the next level in Super 32X World, featuring Knuckles the Echidna. Sounds terrible. I mean, it's it's Knuckles Chaotix. It is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, we got a surprise Nintendo Direct in between episodes. So a partner Direct, yeah, but a Direct was... indeed. Yeah, and it, was, it had a lot more stuff than I was expecting. It had a game that I suddenly have to pencil in for June, goddammit. Yeah. Which one? Jin Megami Tensei Five Vengeance. Yeah. Let me know if they actually do anything with the story this time. Uh, well, it has an 80-hour new campaign called Ven- Canon of Vengeance, so... Does it... Co- Let me know if they actually do something with the story this time. So is it only <laughs> the new campaign, or is, does it have, like... It is both. When you both? start the game... When you start the game, you're left... You have the option of choosing Canon of Balance, which is a rebalanced version of the original game. Okay. Or you can choose Canon of Vengeance, which is an entirely new campaign that apparently heavily diverges in both where you go who and who's involved in the plot and what's happening uh, the further it goes along. Hmm. 
-hmm. So they kind of split the difference between making Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne Maniacs and making Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse. Okay. By making both. <laughs> this is uh, I mean, it's not, this is not surprising. The game sold pretty darn well. Yeah. Game sold well. There was always going to be a call to bring it to other platforms, yeah. and there was enough uh, issues brought up about how it how its vanilla release was uh, was put together. Like, yeah, that there was always going to be a call for this for something like this. I just find it mostly interesting that you know. I had, I had wondered if they would do something like Shin Megami Tensei for Apocalypse, if they would do something like Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne Maniacs, and the answer is that they did both. <laughs> uh, Working a little. Yeah, so we get... Uh, that, that, was, that was the most interesting thing announced to me personally. Uh, because, oh hey, uh, a good excuse to finally, like, now I have to play both campaigns, because, mm -hmm. like, I only got, like, halfway through the original campaign so it's like well time to play both like a sicko mm -hmm. uh but uh there was there was a lot on there uh i need to pick up pentiment actually since that is now on switch and that is a place i might actually finish it uh what is see. that what is that exactly Just an that was then it was an obsidian uh produced sort of adventure rpg sort of thing okay uh, by all accounts, it's very, very good, but it was not on my radar enough to really spend time with it, so... Now I have no excuse. Um, uh, grounded on Switch. Oh uh, yeah, that, that is also coming. Sadly, there will not be Hi-Fi Rush on Switch, at least not yet. Yeah, that's and that's a bit of a shame. Hopefully someday. Uh, but there were a lot of other, like, weird things uh the uh there's a new super monkey ball for some reason yeah, that's that weird uh because like they've they've re-released several super monkey balls over the past few years but not actually uh a new one uh in like close to two decades at this point so that was that was kind of wild to see um but yeah grounded which it was obsidian sort of cooperative survival game uh is coming to switch and ps5 uh there's a sequel to ender lilies called ender magnolia i know very little about ender lilies people seem to kind of like it though so that's yeah. nice uh there was a cute-looking sort of puzzle thing that, like, has the conceit of an RPG that I, I might want to look into when that rolls around, called Arranger, a role-puzzling adventure. It was weird. It looked like mm. a roguelike, except... But a puzzle game. Yeah, but a puzzle game. Yeah, so in, in some ways it sort of reminded me of uh, Dandy Dungeon in that sense of using the context of RPG to make a puzzle game. Uh, mm -hmm. But less uh, less meta, more whimsical. But it looked fun. I, I could see myself spending time with that one. Uh, there was uh, they they announced a demo is out for Unicorn Overlord. Yeah, I uh, that in the 
which is to say uh, Ogre Battle by way of uh, Vanillaware. Uh, people seem to like it. It's a Vanillaware game. You know what you're getting. Um, Good gameplay uh, and some interesting artwork. Uh, yeah, very pretty artwork. Uh, sometimes very yeah. fetishistic artwork, but very pretty artwork. Uh just to remind everyone that the word pneumatic used to have more than one word um, meaning to it and may well again. Um, one day, one day. Yeah. Uh, I know, I mean, it's a very good word to describe some of Vanilla Wary's art style. Mm -hmm. Quite pneumatic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, they threw a lot into a relatively short space because this was like a 25-minute partner direct, but there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, some of it I think only existed for wheels, like Monster Hunter Stories HD. Yep, can't wait for that. <laughs> like, just like, hey, Monster Hunter Stories 1, it's now available on Switch and I think PC as well. But uh, with some new content and graphics upgrades. But It should be good. Highly recommended to people. Uh, Epic Mickey Rebrushed. Which... That one came out of nowhere which looking at that <laughs> title and then seeing who's publishing it and it's like oh yeah that makes sense it's THQ mm -hmm. Nordic yeah apparently like it's it, you know apparently they're doing a full like this is not like using the old code they're rebuilding it from scratch and adding some things Epic Mickey was oh. a neat enough game that kind of got pilloried a little more than it deserved, so I, I could see myself going back to that. I promptly went and sold my Wii copy as soon as it was announced. <laughs> no joke. Uh, wow. Uh, I really like when they... I really like my game updates like that to get rid of like a version that I really don't want to play anymore. Like, <laughs> done that a lot whenever whenever a game escapes PS, ps3 uh, i promptly get rid of that version for example yeah that could be fun let's see uh we had another one that was just like where did this come from and why uh star wars battlefront classic oh, yeah. collection it's a collection of the PS2 and Xbox Battlefront games yes. from 04 and 05. Pro tip, those you were are better by than the newer ones. Oh, much, but it was still weird to see them come back. No, it was. Uh, uh, I was, I mean, honestly, I was always surprised they didn't come out when they were doing, like, all those other Star Wars remasters. Like they Apparently, this is why. Yeah, I guess so. They're actually adding online into them. Which, um, it's, yeah, that's the only reason sure. that you, you should not play these alone. They're not meant to be. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say about it was it was also weird to see them advertising new Kit Fisto content. Yeah. <laughs> that was a weird phrase to hear. I don't remember who that is. Kit Fisto is the, is the Jedi from Attack of the Clones with like the, the head tendrils or some shit, but it's not a Twi'lek. Uh, okay. Probably? I don't know. I've never watched that, you dipshit. There were Clone Wars? Why? It's like seven seasons. Why would I watch that? I haven't watched it all. Because it's actually better than both. it's better than all three of the prequel movies put together. It's the only yeah, but the prequel, prequel movies only took watching. me six hours to watch. But the prequel movies only took me six hours to watch, whereas watching seven seasons of a television show, it's like, no, I can't, man. 
<laughs> yeah, but it's, at least it's bite-sized. You can take it one or two at a time or just have it in the background or something. So yeah, but those movies this. were bad, so I didn't want to watch more, more things. No, no, I, I, yeah, that's fair. I understand. Not. I've heard they are good, but this is why I never committed to them. <laughs> but... But did you watch Star Wars Rebels? No. Oh, man. Man. I don't need more Star Wars in my life. Okay. They announced this. This wasn't an announcement, I don't think, but I forgot they showed a fucking South Park game for some reason. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the weird one really? they announced last year at some point. Snow Day. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what kind of game it is. Some co op thing. Something. Feels weird. I don't care. Right. I mean, this uh, is on a Nintendo Direct with South Park. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. The, 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 the trailer was strategic to not be a Red Band trailer, so... <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I forgot that they were still producing Sword Art Online content. I shouldn't be surprised, but they announced another game. Hey, Fireman. Hey, Fireman. Uh, Namco, Namco Bandai, as part of the long... Uh, history of a company making a like charting a new course for a franchise and then sheepishly saying ah oh, fuck no one liked that fuck fuck and going back and pretending it didn't happen uh announced gundam breaker 4 huh. uh so gundam breakers 1 through 3 were games where it's like oh you get to customize your uh you get to make customized gun gundams out of like uh the, the kinds of kits that you would make Gunpla out of. Uh, Gundam plastic models. Then, uh, and you, you would f uh, fight through fairly simple action RPG sort of grindy missions. It's, it's, it's fun if you just like uh, smashing together pieces of robots. Uh, Sounds neat. Then... Yeah, that's, the, I was say that's the entire reason that series exists. Yep. Then they made uh, New Gundam Breaker. Uh, which I think had more of like an online multiplayer focus, and people did not like it at all. Uh, and so it was, and so now we have this, which is Gundam Breaker Four, which is the fifth Gundam Breaker game. Uh, and they would just like to politely ask every human being involved to not ask about New Gundam Breaker ever again. Uh, and I'll <laughs> oblige them as long as this one turns out well. Uh, but it's it's also funny to see this announced at the same time in the U.S. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's so Gundam Breaker Four. Uh, if you want to smash Gundam parts together, that's that'll probably be a decent time, uh, and I won't have to import it. So that's also nice. Uh, Super Monkey Ball Banana Rumble, as as mentioned, they they're making an actually new Super Monkey Ball. Uh, also, uh, a, a 16 player multiplayer mode. Hmm. In case you just wondered, like, what if playing Super Monkey Ball was more infuriating because some motherfucker kept knocking into me? Uh, there you are. Have fun. Uh, Am I having fun fantasy. Yet? I mean, I'll have fun, but I'll also be really pissed off. Um,. <laughs> Fantasy Life I. Uh, 
which I know at least one person who's super pumped about that. Uh, and probably... At, uh, okay, I know at least two people who are super pumped about that. It's level 5. <laughs> committed. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the original game was fun for what it was. Um, apparently I think KG and Afune is no longer it. involved in this one. Oh, God. <laughs> What's that? I said, oh, thank God. No, I, I thought I heard Gaijin say oh, something. Okay. Oh, no, it was just like, apparently the uh, the English translation was good enough to get our official review higher than the one I made for it. <laughs> so, which is good to know. Yeah, so I mean, if you just want to, if you want to have your your slow life RPGs, you got your options. Uh, a a dark soulsy thing about crabs. Yeah, all another crab treasure. I was That's like, a good what, name. What the hell is this? Actually, this looks awesome. I think it's, it's, it's called another crab's treasure, and I like that name. So it's also good by pass. the developer Agro Crab. Yeah, they they know what they're doing. Yeah, who I they, was... they're they're crab focused. I was like, I've heard that name before. Why have I heard that name before? I was looking through my games before, and it's like, oh, those are those are the ones who made the roguelike game going under. Where it's like a roguelite, where you're in like a a, a company that's. Going under. As, as Krill the Hermit Crab, you'll need to wear the trash around you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you get to put on all sorts of like different like shells as you go in search of your own yeah. original shell. It looks fun. Looks uh, cute. It, it looks. I was surprised. I was like, "What, what the fuck is uh, the Hermit Crab souls like?" But the more they showed, the better it looked. Yeah. No, they, yeah. they look like they're. Yeah. Uh, they were making like, it work. Okay, this is surprisingly funny. It's yeah. like, okay, uh. There are crabs. If you have a ch yeah. <laughs> but Got its name's crabs. not actually Sebastian. That'd be funny. Yeah, but it would also invite Disney to come down upon them with the, uh. With a, with an, an wholly unwarranted fury and rage. Um. Let's see. Uh, for for those who liked Sonic Mania and are like, why isn't there a Sonic Mania 2? The answer is probably some sort of internal Sega corporate politics, but the developers of Sonic Mania made a different game instead. And it looks bad uh, as shit. Yeah, and that was that was just shadow dropped yesterday. It's called Penny's Big Breakaway. It's a 3D uh, platformer about a girl with a yo-yo. It looks fun. Take my money. I'm out of money that is not currently spoken for by a game that we will definitely talk about. Yes. Uh, but uh, this looks incredibly good uh, as like just a fun 3D platformer that has some Mario and some Sonic in it. Uh, so, you know, that deserves that deserves attention by all accounts. It's extremely good. Uh, so yeah, uh, Penny's Big Breakaway seems to be on everything, so maybe give that one a look uh, if you haven't been keeping an eye on it. The uh, yo-yo one? Yeah, the yo-yo one. Yeah, I saw a, a bit of a Let's Play of that the other day. It looks really fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, hello, Joe. Sorry, Drew. Hello, Joe. How do you know? Uh, but, yeah, and then we have... Uh, going down the list again, just to get everything on here, because I actually found a list that had everything in it. Uh, 
there was a thing that most reminded me of Game Freak's uh, largely uh, ignored but quite good GBA uh, platformer uh, drill dozer called Pepper Grinder. And that looks pretty mm -hmm. fun. Huh. Uh, the the most uh, deranged people that I know uh, on Twitter, the, the true sickos, who are uh, all in on now no longer available 3DS game Pocket Card Jockey were thrown a bone <laughs> with an updated re-release of that called Pocket Card Jockey Ride On. Yeah, it has cards and they still don't care. But, Incredible. you know, it's... Good on you people, I guess. They dropped... Uh, they dropped five Rareware games on Nintendo Switch Online? Yeah, That's, I thought for uh, a second we were about to get the entire, like, Rare... Rare Replay? Rare Replay, yeah. I, I think we've gotten most of what's good in it, other than, like, Battletoads Arcade at this point. Uh, dark. Yeah, Perfect Dark. But, I mean, like... oh. I, They've announced Banjo-Kazooie for Nintendo Switch Online in uh, Expansion Pack, but we still don't have it. So I'm kind of curious what's holding that one up. Mm. But that is that was announced long ago. So I'm kind of curious when we'll get that. But yeah, they dropped all on the same day uh, RC Pro-Am and Snake Rattle and Roll, uh, two of uh, Rare's more... Uh, obscure but well-liked NES games. Uh, Killer Instinct and Battletoads. <laughs> yeah, it's like a weird isometric platformer with elements of the game Snake. It's very strange. I was going to say, it's also uh, the, it reminds me of Marble Madness a little bit as well. But... Yeah, that's what, it's got that isometric and weird physics-based thing going on. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a game that like it's nice to have uh, like if you have Switch Online I would recommend spending a little time with it. It's weird and it can be hard to get on with, but it's interesting. Uh, and RC Prime is just good. Um, you got uh, Battle Toads and Battle Maniacs, the less well remembered uh, Super Nintendo sequel to Battle Toads, uh, that is still quite good. Uh, and the Super Nintendo port of Killer Instinct. Uh, and we got uh, the the true jewel of this uh, Blast Core, which uh, is an N64 game, like one of Rareware's N64 games, one of their best actually. Uh, a, a game whose like uh, whose premise is so simple and perfect that I'm shocked that it hasn't been knocked off by like ten indie games uh, mm -hmm. because Blast Core was a game where there is a truck carrying a giant nuclear payload that for some reason you cannot stop, so you must just blow up everything in front of it so that it doesn't crash into something and explode. <laughs> uh, and you get Russia, a variety of vehicles yeah. to do that. Speed the nuclear edition. Something like that. So you get like a bulldozer, and that's like the easy one because it just crashes through. But then you get like really weird ones like a... Uh, giant like truck that only does damage when you slide into things with uh, hitting them with the back uh and like sometimes you'll be like just in a big half completed robot or uh like there's all sorts of weird vi uh, physics and vehicles but the premise and core of the game is very simple and very like immediately fun because it is mostly just crash into buildings and destroy them 
Uh, and everything else is an excuse to do that. It's a good pick-up-and-play game, like, if you just have, like, ten minutes to fuck around with a, with your Switch. Uh, sp- spend some time with Blast Core. It's a great game. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting selection, simply because uh, it beckons for the u- for more. Like, it beckons for the, for certain games that by the nature of these ones being cleared, there's clearly other ones that they could do. So like, Killer Instinct, but not Killer Instinct Gold on the N64. Or Battletoads and Battle Maniacs, but not Battletoads on the NES. Uh, or RC Pro-Am, but not Diddy Kong Racing, which was originally RC Pro-Am 64. Uh, uh, it's, it's one of those things that like, oh, this does... With with this level of rare cooperation, there is the option to bring in plenty of these, and I'm kind of curious uh, if we uh, see some of these because it's like, so like especially something like Diddy Kong Racing, a game that is beloved to a certain uh, to people of a certain age, but which uh, has had rights issues around it for decades now. Uh, they might they might be hesitant about uh, Diddy Kong Racing because uh, there are like ten total voice clips in that, and like five of them are racist. Uh, yeah, uh, the the elephant that you that like is your sort of like friendly uh, genie guide uh, has uh, how how to put this. Uh, uh, if you ever watched uh, the uh, Simpsons documentary, The Problem with Apu, I could only describe it as, uh, like, I believe that the term that was used there was patanking, but, like, this really exaggerated pseudo-Indian accent that gets put on in a lot of American productions, famously with the character of Apu from The Simpsons. Uh, so that might be part of why they are hesitant to uh, drop that one again. Uh, the uh, I remember there was a character in Quest for Glory Five that had that accent, and I mm-hmm. even referred to it in the review as a Quickie Mart accent. Yeah, it's like that's, okay, uh, we can do yeah. better, dudes. Yeah, the DS version, which uh, makes a lot of questionable changes in terms of like how the game mechanically functions, did at least replace that with uh, voice clips that just gave him like a very standard British accent. Uh, but yeah, that might be like as I was thinking about like why not Diddy Kong Racing, I was like, oh, that's probably at least part of yeah. why. Uh, in Japan, uh, in this drop, they also got uh, Mother Three on the GBA uh, for expansion pack. Uh, and since nothing uh, raises the hackles of Mother fans like Mother and like a Mother game coming out, uh, I have I have seen. Uh, great, uh, great complaints, uh, vituperation and recrimination uh, towards all with decision-making power, or mm. even people without decision-making power. Which is to say, I've seen uh, people uh, <laughs> tweeting at Etoy himself, upset that it's not in English, and he's just saying, "Like, I don't, I can't. It's not my decision to make." <laughs> but yeah so that's uh good job but yeah you failed yeah you have uh you have harassed a like 70 year old man yeah what what the fuck 
Where's the fuck? How is it Like, it's gotta be near 70 at this point. Do better, internet. They won't. Um, let's see. So, Itoi, yeah, Itoi was born in 1948, so... Uh, don't be mean to the guy. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a good. He's a good guy, who I'm sure would love to see Mother Three available to as many people as possible. But uh, yeah, he's he's quite up there in years. And then the extremely fascinating choice to end the game with a uh, one more thing that was a revival of Endless Ocean. <laughs> Uh, Endless, what? Endless Ocean was a I want to say Wii game. Like I'm, I'm, there's there's a few different games that have been this kind of game that I'm trying to make sure that I'm remembering sure correctly. Yeah, yeah, Wii game because like I some I sometimes conflate it with uh with things like Aquanauts Holiday, which is a similar kind of game. But this this is a Scuba Endless Ocean was a Wii. What's that? Scuba diving adventure game. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it, adventure is, is doing some heavy lifting here. There's no... Like, this was a game that, at the time, given how, uh, like, a lot of gamers were having a very hard time dealing with the notion that games might not have been made for them, uh, were very <laughs> upset that this was a scuba diving game with no fail state. Uh... You just scuba around and explore and look at fish and find stuff on the ocean floor. Sometimes it's sunken treasure, sometimes it's just stuff. Uh, but that, that is... How dare you play a game that you can't fail? That's not a game. Uh, yeah, that was, that, was, that, was a real, that was a real debate that I had to sit through like at least a hundred times uh, in, from 2006 to 2009. Um... All of the most emotionally healthy people were having it, um, <laughs> but yeah. So the it's it's nice to see that come back and get like it's this this one has a bunch of multiplayer, so like you can scuba around with friends. That sounds relaxing. I like that. I like that that gets to come back, and I like to get. Uh, I like that that gets to be like a big centerpiece. Like, hey, look at this. This is something you should care about. That comes out in May. Maybe I'll pick that up. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, and sometimes you just want to explore around the ocean and yeah. not get eaten by a shark. Um, yeah, it's good. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, there's a certain there's there's a joy in making something that's just like seemingly showcasing uh, a team's like willingness to just be fascinated to to enjoy take joy in the existence of the natural world. Uh, and so, yeah. I, I, I'm glad to see that come back. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably get that for my kids. They'll probably absolutely love it. <laughs> uh, and I will play it too, because it looks relaxing. Yeah, sometimes you just want to chill. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't think of a platform that Endless Ocean feels better suited to than the Switch, where you could just like throw it on and chill for a bit. Uh, uh, yeah, it's nice to see that. Um, yeah, 
Um, so that, that was the that was the part in direct. That was fun. Uh, I I'm always surprised at Nintendo's capacity to just like they're still managing to make sure that the Switch is the platform with the most interesting stuff coming out for it for me. So uh, at least certainly the most consistently, uh, mm-hmm. and that is a platform that is. Well, uh, that is passing its seventh birthday soon. So. I mean, there's a long list of Switch games coming out this year I'm interested in, and there is a single PS5 game, and it comes out next week. Hey, and then yep. <laughs> yeah, we should hit that, because, uh, hey, uh, this is... Uh, the, the embargo on that game just lifted. And boy, are there some reviews, including a 5 out of 5 from our very own site. Yeah, that's uh, that that's uh, that always takes some. That always, it, uh, it always means someone was passionate about that score when you actually see a five here, yeah. <laughs> and was willing uh, to defend it against at least two editors. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it is an uphill battle to let to let you get to actually keep something a five. Um, oh, I a five know. or a one, you you do have to defend yeah. both extremes. Oh yeah, the the extremes of the ones to defend. Yeah, the the. The the extremes of the review scale are very uh, are arduous. You have to you have to want it, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. So FF Seven Rebirth, uh, just a lot. Like I think as of this morning, it was at like ninety three on Metacritic for whatever that's worth. Uh, let me check what it's at right now. I would imagine most of the major reviews are basi- basically all went up the moment that they could for fairly obvious reasons. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's the, the the rumblings that I am seeing are exactly the things I wanted to see. Uh, it's uh. Let me take a look. Yep, still at 93 on Metacritic. Uh, as a, out of 119 reviews, uh, all of which are positive. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, really, really excited to dig into that. I was playing some intermission today, uh, just fucking around with Fort Condor. Uh, one of the things that I uh, appreciated seeing was in uh, Jason Schreier's uh, it was in his impressions when he wrote his uh, weekly column for Bloomberg uh, let me pull up what exact verbiage he used here there was a so he uh, like I'm, I'm bringing this up this is a guy who mostly liked FF16 so I, this is not a comparison I'm bringing up just to cherry pick someone who's who's dunking on it but it it was a phrase that I wanted to see because it was a feeling I felt uh, that I felt in my bones, and was hoping that this could make good on. Uh, the one of the phrases that showed up was at times playing last year's Final Fantasy 16, I would wonder where the humor and charm went. It turns out it's all in Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth. Uh, it seems to just generally be like a lot of the. Uh, story and side content is just fun. We've seen more footage of things like, oh, yes, they did, in fact, 
model Barrett in full sailor suit from that you could see when you're on the boat from Junon. Uh, we do we do get to see things like uh, apparently there is a reference to a glitch encounter that you could only find in the Japanese version of FF7. There is uh, in in the Japanese version of FF7. There is like the the data is still there, kind of in both versions, but it's like a uh, it's it's some sort of test encounter uh, where you it, it, like people refer to it as like enemy zero. It's in the English version at the very least. It's just a bunch of garbled characters if you uh, force it to appear. But in Coral Prison, you would run into this uh, f- like weird set of enemies that did not attack, had wildly high stats for where you would find them, and would, at their turns, basically just ask you to stop killing them. Uh, just extremely strange encounter that definitely would have weirded out some Japanese children. But apparently, there is a reference to that encounter in this game, which is wildly obscure as far as fan service goes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've, like everything uh, there there seems to be uh, like the, the, the range of opinions on this seems to be quite limited. You either really like it or you adore it. That's, that's where we're at at the moment. Uh, but yeah, it, it Everything I'm hearing is all are the things I want to hear. The game is uh, stuffed to the brim with weird mini games, uh, which is a mm-hmm. correct and thorough understanding of what I like about Final Fantasy VII, which is to say that it's a weird, weird, weird game. Uh, unfortunately, I will be forced to play a card game. Uh, <laughs> there is a card game in it called Queen's Blood that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the true the true triple triad sickos uh, that have uh, done reviews seem to think is uh, it, it appeals to those people. They they thought that it's probably uh, the the true sickos uh, seem to think that it's uh, as good or better than that. Which the card game sickos who care about Final Fantasy who love triple triad. Hold that game in way too high esteem, but at the very least, the entire game will not be built around it. Uh, That's true. <laughs> so I, no, I am allowed to. <laughs> I am I am allowed to simply engage with it enough to complete a quest and then never think about it again. Uh, so on there this are week's triple triad report. It's it's called Queen's Blood. Sorry, on so. this on this week's Queen's Blood. But yeah, it, it looks like a much more modern card game. There's like, uh, it's, it's still positional. There's like lanes. It's points based. It, it looks really weird, but it also looks like it might not have the, uh, it might not have the rules degenerating uh, bullshit that also exists in Triple Triad that made that game even more infuriating. Uh, remember how that system worked? That was obnoxious. It was. Yeah. Uh, for those who do not remember or did not play Final Fantasy VIII, Triple Triad had variant rules that were supposed to represent like uh, the rules that had come into currency in different parts of the world. 
Uh, mm-hmm. You would, depending upon who you played with, you would spread those rules around. Uh, some of them are really obnoxious, and also uh, over time, there's a hierarchy that rules degenerate through. So, like they'll go, they'll start at at a top of the hierarchy, and over time, uh, if they if if you've got the same rule spread around too much, they'll degenerate and fall down the hierarchy. Uh, it's it's a really weird, really obnoxious system. Uh, triple triad was a mistake. Um, but yeah, so uh, Rebirth looks uh, looks really fun. It looks... Uh, and then also they made some of the best stuff necessary to... I mean, you had to actually get some of the cards and turn, uh, turn them into items and stuff. Yeah, like the the big, we we've I think we I've I have ranted about this like a million times, but like the big problem with FF8 is that it is a game where uh, you have to equip all of your magic, uh, like your equipment is magic spells, and there's no good way to get spells. You yep. can sit in an encounter and draw them from enemies, which is miserably slow and tedious. You can. Uh, play cards, which is miserably slow and tedious, or you can uh, get uh, you can refine items, which is slow and inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, pick your and poison. Since there's no cap on the effect. <laughs> okay, um, but okay, let's move on to some other things to complain about, shall we? I was gonna, I was gonna wax rhapsodic about how happy I was about FF7 Rebirth from what I've seen of it. <laughs> oh, oh, please keep on the positives. We're, I mean, we're getting tra- um, off track on hating a different game. Yeah, yeah, uh, but no, uh, like uh, apparently there's a lot of quests that are actually fun and worth doing, and uh, have. Uh, interesting, unique things that happen in them, or some side quests contain mini games that never appear again, like just <laughs> bespoke content, which is uh, which is rare nice. and incredible. Um, when was the last time uh, a Final Fantasy game actually had that? Like maybe ten, definitely nine. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time, a very long time. Uh, uh, Ten had bespoke uh, had bespoke mini games that uh, were used for side quests. Uh, Ten two also has it, but I think that's the last time. Ten two had uh, competitive arithmetic. Uh, <laughs> oh, Sphere break oh, yeah. was a Sphere break was a weird choice. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's, I remember it's, nine you know, had a jump rope competition. Yeah, nine had the jump rope thing. That was weird, uh, and some some other stuff. Uh, Ten had Blitzball, and uh, which is you're required to play one game of. But you know, for for the most part, we would call that mostly a side quest. Uh, Ten two has a, a lot of weird mini games, uh, actually, because there's also the the Gunner's Gauntlet. Uh, there's uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of weird bespoke content in uh, Ten Two, and then we we kind of didn't see that for the last uh, Ten Two came out in two thousand three, so the last twenty one years. Uh, 
I've j- I, I am fully a mark for some of the things that they've shown. Uh, I love the piece of the the piece of promotional key art that they've shown of Sid just sitting on top of the tiny Bronco. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of just uh, the the whole vibe of the game being uh, one that you know seems to be you know essentially a a joyful like you know the the world is the world is beautiful like as a contrast to midgar in the first one where we saw only uh, we we saw the the uh depths to which shinra had sunk the uh the most developed nation state on the planet so now we uh get a game that is about like oh you know there's you know we can see repeatedly the damage that shinra has done but there's still so much world worth saving and here's a game where you get to see that world uh i'm very excited i'm very excited for that and i'm very excited for uh the ridiculousness of red 13 riding a chocobo yes (laughs) it's just a beautiful piece of imagery and i will never get over reading the interview with this game's director Naki Hamaguchi, uh, talk uh, talking about how the overall FF7 remake creative director Tetsuya Nomura uh, being the one like they they had internal debates about how to depict Red Thirteen riding a chocobo. Does he ride a chocobo? Does he uh, does he sit on his uh, like? Does he try to sit on it like a person, like a bipedal person would? Does he just run alongside you? What does he do? And apparently, uh, Nomura said he tries to, like, ultimately settle the debate by saying he should just try to ride it like a person. And it's a beautiful image. Truly ridiculous looking. Let's see. Uh... But yeah, so uh, this time next week, uh, Wheels, can we record on Wednesday? Sure. Because this time next week, Rebirth will be out. Like, it should be in my hands by this time next week. And we're probably so, both going to want to just play we're gonna that. be busy that night. <laughs> Yeah, so so we'll be recording Wednesday next week. Yeah, uh, sounds good. Okay. <laughs> so sorry, I hope that's not a problem for you guys, but uh, actually, I'm trying to remember which which day is. I'm pretty sure next Thursday for me is the high school graduation, which I'm not required to go to, but which all my students will be going to. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, I was going to be going to the tax office that morning, and hopefully, I should be finished by the time this thing starts. Good, good. So, perfect. Yep. But yeah, so big. big uh, always nice to see something that you're looking forward to uh, get a response of yes, this will this will not disappoint you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I had every confidence in it, but it's always nice to see. Um, Let's see. Uh, Fireminer asks, isn't a bad sign when Square Enix employees can't be bothered to be enthusiastic and passionate when making a completely new game and only enthusiastic to do a remake? Even Stranger of Paradise has more passionate than 16. I don't think 
that no one cared about 16. I feel like 16's problem is that it was made by uh, people who were con- were too concerned that there was that that Final Fantasy needed to conform to like some other form of fantasy in order to remain it retain relevance. And I, I think that that was that that is ultimately what hurts it. There are clear signs of passion in that game. I think that they're generally misplaced. Uh, and I, I won't get too deep into this because we're we don't want to spend too much time on that uh, again. Uh, we'll, we'll save that for I don't know when all the DLC is out or whatever. Who cares? I'm not buying more. I'm not spending more money on that game. Doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, the, I, I don't think that there was. I, I think that I don't think it's possible uh, to to create a game that like certainly is uh, polished. Uh, that that polished without there being passionate people working on it. I just think that like ultimately there's there's too much of a leash on it. There was too little confidence in a uh, in a more ambitious vision and. One of the nice things about working from that established template of something like Final Fantasy VII is you already know the audience is on board, so you can just go for it. Uh, And so that passion gets to go into making the game more itself, more interesting. Uh, And uh, with, you know, with, with certain... Uh, I think that 16 might also be reflective of being made by... Uh, I, I believe it was the team that did the first couple of FF14 2.0 uh, expansions. So, like, Realm Reborn and Heavensward. Like, that team was the nucleus that made 16. And that kind of development puts a very specific idea of how to deal with fan expectation in your head uh, because that was them trying to fix a game that was on its back foot. Uh, a game that had no, uh, the, that had lost all player confidence. And so its design by necessity had to be a design that would be as player approved as possible. Uh, and this usually is a reasonable tack to take with a game that is live and constantly being updated. It needs to respond to its player base. But when you're making like a long single-player RPG that once it's done, you can't really make sweeping changes to it. You can't go back and like hack bits out of it or add things uh in as clean a fashion when you're making like an almost purely reactive design you end up producing something that feels uh kind of it doesn't feel right and i think that that may have informed some of the decision making that went into why 16 is the game that it is but uh let's see 
Okay, uh, another one from Fireminer on the chat. You've talked about fighting games as a quote-unquote acceptable form of live service game, but to flip the question, can you make a fighting game in this day and age without making it a live service game? How about instead of a small content update every two months, you release one big expansion every three quarters, like in the old days? DNF Duel tried to do that, and the game is terrible at retaining players. Yeah, you run into the issue of the game industry has is so much larger. There's so many more games now competing for attention. And it's one of those things I hate having to say this because it's just frustrating. You have to work with what players have been trained to expect. And you see this yeah. a lot when someone tries to make a mobile game that isn't exploitative trash. Uh, where, like, someone makes a mobile game that's like, here's a full game that you tra pay a nominal fee to play. Uh, and... and that's the only fee. What's that? And that's the only fee. Yeah, and that's the only fee. Like, you just... Uh, like, the first few levels or whatever are free. Like, I'm specifically thinking of, like, Super Mario Run, but, like, just about anything. Uh, there are definitely games that are like this. Like, you... Here's... Uh, the first handful is free. There's no way to... There's no uh, gotcha mechanics. There's no uh, ad-supported version. There is just a game that you can buy if you would like it. And uh, the mobile market has been trained to hate that. Uh... Even though it's basically like new shareware style, mm -hmm. yeah. like pe people have just like you 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 show that option. And it's like, but I want to just keep playing it and just deal with the bullshit and not pay for it. And then like eventually, the answer is that a lot of players just end up would ultimately end up pay paying more. But they don't. The like the psychological way that the mobile market has been built uh, has been like convinced to like like what that market has been convinced to tolerate has caused the has caused it so that they they get they bulk when it when you do something different like you look at something like and you get kind of the same thing with fighting games like i'd kind of like if we just saw like a huge update with like all the characters at once that can because like it's a lot of fun when you just see all of these weird new interactions and, you know, maybe the game's a little broken for a while, but that's part of... that, that can be exciting. But uh, at the same time, like, fighting games have ultimately moved into being uh, long-term profitable because the competitive uh, scene keeps the game in the public eye. And the competitive scene, like, loses interest if you are... Uh, you know, if there isn't, like, the if, if you t look at, like, God, one of the worst phrases that uh, you'll see on social media is the phrase dead game. Uh, oh, like, anything so that has not, anything that has not been updated in the past, like, month runs the risk of being declared dead game. Uh, I think the most like brain rotted way I've seen it applied is someone like I saw someone refer to uh, the Resident Evil 4 remake as a dead game, and it's like that was a single player video game with a like beginning, middle, and end that was not meant to be expanded upon. They made a video game. What the fuck is wrong with you? 
but you know, you like the this is uh, the 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 hell that we live in uh, for in terms of consumer expectation is that uh, to a certain extent this because this is the kind of expectations that can only be met at an absurd scale uh it was advantageous for AAA development to encourage the idea that a game needs to constantly be updating because it gives them competitive advantage over smaller games uh but uh because of that now there is a certain subset of the consumer market that if they are not constantly being drip-fed changes, assume that the game is over and will never come back. <laughs> and it's hell, and I hate this world, and I hate this industry, and I hate it because I love so much about it. Um, uh, in conclusion, looking forward to two weeks from now when someone is saying Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, dead game. Um... But yeah, I don't think that there's uh, really a way to put the genie back in the bottle for fighting games in specific, uh, because the expectation is, uh, and I do appreciate that what what developers seem to be learning over time uh, with balance patches is sometimes you just have to let it sit for quite a while, because uh, if you're too reactive to player feedback the loudest players inevitably get what they want and the loudest players are really bad at figuring out what's a good idea uh <laughs> so you'll see anytime a new character gets added to a fighting game there will be uh calls for emergency nerfs or emergency buffs they're too weak or they're too strong and there's just no way to actually have a good read on that a week out honestly there's very little way to have a good read on that three months out but if you're if you're holding back and doing like say uh guilty gear or street fighter r at this point where it's like we do balance updates every so often about as uh about as frequently as characters uh which is to say you know once every few months you give those things time to sit, and you give people time to realize, okay, maybe this thing that felt really oppressive because I've never seen this character before is totally manageable. Uh, but you do uh, you do miss out on the uh, the old uh, style where it's like there's going to be a new version of this next year, and by that time we will have seen a great deal about what was what turned out to be a problem in this last version. I think forever about uh, a statement allegedly sourced to uh, one of the developers on Street Fighter Three Third Strike. There is a character in that, Sean, who in Street Fighter Two Second Impact is like uh, high tier, almost top tier, uh, who was uh, due to lore reasons, because he is supposed to be the weakest character in the canon, uh, was nerfed into the ground uh in street fighter 3 third strike like in in a in ways that are often hard for the uh, for a non-hardcore player to even understand what they were doing uh they made all sorts of choices that are done just to make him worse in extremely subtle ways uh but 
the developers on that allegedly like a developer in on that i've i've not sourced this interview so that's why i'm couching this in allegedly but allegedly one of the devs on that in an interview said that they kind of assumed they would have another game to fix him that <laughs> they had they had nerfed him further than they probably felt was necessary assuming that there would be a fourth version of street fighter 3 where they could go back and fix it and uh, that was. didn't happen <laughs> but yeah it's it's an interesting uh it's an interesting balance to have to strike uh but yeah uh i, I think that uh we're, we're seeing developers get smarter about how quickly they jump to address uh player complaints and how they space out characters and the nice thing is that because of the way that they do things where it's like all these characters are in a season bundle if you just decide that you just want to have that classic experience you just come back in a year and you spend like probably 15 bucks because it'll probably be on sale and buy the season pass and hey it's like you just bought street fighter 6 champion edition <laughs> so that's something but the okay. the periods oh god no, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just commenting or just making noise while you talk. So. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, one more from this. Speaking of which, can a survival-esque game made by a small studio like Power World afford to not be a live service game uh, to constantly uh, stay under the spotlight? I feel like the genre demands quite a lot more capital and management manpower than people think. Remember V Rising? That game is still chugging along, but the devs. Record of delivering updates is not great. Uh, apparently, it's a cash flow problem. I mean, that's probably part of why V Rising is also coming to consoles and going into 1.0. But uh, I, I think that uh, like survival games are a particular tough nut to crack because they represent a lot of technology problems. Uh, mm. Like... Uh, they're they're big open world. They have all sorts of weird interlocking systems. Uh, they require tons of art assets. Like maybe not a great maybe not a great choice for your like indie startup studio that has maybe ten people in it. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I I don't know uh, that there's a good way. Like there are certain genres that it's like you know if you're making a big open world action game for for the same reason, there's not really a way to get financing on that that's uh, going to be easy. Not that anything's ever, not that anything is ever easy, but like getting financing on that is uh, is is not going to be uh, great. Uh, I see really bad dead game discourse. I don't. Uh, just look at the Mortal Kombat <laughs> one fandom. God, I can't even imagine. There's like one. I have one le look into the Mortal Kombat fa fandom. It is a like I don't enjoy Mortal Kombat, but there is a YouTube channel, uh, PND KNM, that is just uh, just two dudes who are really enthusiastic about the history of Mortal Kombat and love talking about like the weird quirks of those old uh, of those old and new games. And that's the only exposure to the Mortal Kombat fandom I maintain, and uh, I'm happier this way. Uh, but I am certain, like, because that game came out, like, three months ago, and, you know, like, the I think the last, like, character update was, like, two months ago, so someone's screaming dead game because the, people are broken inside. 
<laughs> I mean, you want to talk about stupid? I've seen people call Fortnite a dead game in the past. <laughs> Most popular wow. live game, service game, dead game. Anyways, before some of the recent like stuff, dead game that brought it into <laughs> uh, back into like the wider discussion, but still, it's just like, what, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Just because it's something you know and Jesse, like, what the fuck or are you talking about? <laughs> does not mean yeah. it's a dead fucking game. Like what but the fuck? These people are incredibly self-centered. <sighs> yeah, the the so answer is it, that a lot. If it's of... dead to them, it must be dead to the world. Yeah, the answer is that a lot of people saying dead game just mean there's nothing new that I care about. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. But yeah, last character update is a few days away. The trailer for Peacemaker and MK1 dropped last night. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, one will get at least one or two more seasons worth of new characters. So. Oh, I'd be shocked if that's not continuing at least through like 2026. Uh, MK uh, Mortal Kombat games don't typically uh, get uh, as long. Uh, don't don't run as long as something like. Uh, Street Fighter or Tekken, but they usually get at least three good years out of them before they move on. Uh, God, imagine... No, no, I'm just imagining uh, that that kind of person having had to be like a Guilty Gear fan post-Exard Rev 2, where there was just like years and years where it's like, nope, no, uh, no updates to this game, and no new game on the horizon for a while. Long way between uh, Rev Two and Strive. They were having conversation. Guess who's awake? Oh, I noticed. <laughs> Can you say hello? Hello. Hello. Okay. So, what did you do today? Yeah. You had a nap. Okay. Good choice. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go change the TV for a moment. So I'll be back. Okay. So, See you, you just, you guys just keep talking. <laughs> uh, also, Firefinder said before you uh, left, while you were gone, Wheels. When will Wheels come back? I want to ask some TMNT and Spider-Man questions. Radical man. Radical. So now we're just Cowabunga, we're, dude. Oh, man, we are awaiting them. The turtles are currently in that dead game Fortnite. You know that totally dead game. abandoned and forgotten game. I, I think I've seen literally. Any live service game that's been around for a long term, called a dead game, long term, mm -hmm. called a dead game, by people that oh, yeah, don't like it or no longer like it. Yeah, I, I would suspect that a lot of the people saying this tend to be uh, people who are uh, in their late teens who have lost interest in some of their games from their childhood and assume that the game is just over. <laughs> mm -hmm. And a scary percentage are not. Yeah, um, <laughs> some people are some te people are brain dead teens at heart. Sure. Mm hmm. Or just yeah, they never grow out of it. Like me, wait, shit. Um, I resemble that remark. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully, not too badly. Yeah, we we can dream. We can hope. We can recognize our issues and improve ourselves. We can be a better tomorrow. But is it too early to call Suicide Squad a dead game? <laughs> uh, 
I mean, well, I mean it, it should not have been born. It should not have been born. It should not have been born. Yeah, I think I think the thing that, like, I suspect that we get at least like that, that they will continue fighting the good fight for about six months and then uh, be forced to throw in the towel at a, along with probably a bunch of layoffs, which is going to be really depressing. Um, oh, but yeah, me. I, I saw recently something from uh, mm -hmm. from software president talking about the state of the industry. Oh, uh, Hitotaka Miyazaki? Yeah. Now they're not going to mm -hmm. lay anyone off. So good on them. Good choice. Mm -hmm. Especially because you're just about to release a big DLC and make a lot of money. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, that I was mean, the thing that was announced. I mean, half the companies are laying people off for making lots of money. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. It's nice to, it's nice to hear a company say that we will not be laying a bunch of people off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. speaking of uh, Elden Ring Shadow of the End Tree, sometime in June, I want to say. Uh, yeah, one day I'll get around to Elden Ring. I just I got kind of sold out. <laughs> yeah, same. Mm -hmm. Same, and also so. what didn't help was it came out right around all the Steam Deck stuff. So I made some progress mm -hmm. and then got it on Steam Deck and just kind of started over and that was not a good idea. Rip. So. I'll lead us to the others. Oh well. Uh, yeah. <sighs> what was I going to say something about that? Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's been... Yeah, I don't even know what to... <laughs> how to follow this up. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm not looking forward to what we're going to hear from Rocksteady in a few months. Uh, yep. Uh, um. uh, hey, uh, speaking of live service games that suddenly were a success, apparently people are playing Helldivers. So yeah. No, I had uh, I had a Mac buddy I haven't heard from in years just randomly message me on Steam the other day. Just be like, you're getting, you're getting Helldivers too. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, maybe? It's nice to see a success story amidst all of the, like, hubris leading to a horrible crash and burn. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't even realize that they're selling it for only 40 bucks, so I'm sure that helped too. I mean that was that was a wise choice, yeah. but yeah, they've their their biggest problem has been we didn't expect this to sell this well, and now it's uh, crashing horribly. Our it's crashing our servers horribly, but <laughs> it's a good problem to have, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it looks fun. I I don't think it's something I would spend an excessive amount of time in, but it looks, certainly looks a fun day version. Yeah. It's not for me, but it looks like it's good at what it is. Um, more questions. Nothing in the chat. I'm actually checking. We're waiting for those Spider-Man and Ninja Turtle questions. <laughs> we all crave <laughs> them. Gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> Mm 
Oh, what's the best Ninja Turtle cartoon you asked, Firebunner? He didn't actually ask this. It's clearly <laughs> the 2012 show. I was going to say, you're just going to say the 2012 yeah, one. It's the, it's the 2012. <laughs> I've, I've missed most of these variations, so the only one I remember is the really probably awful in hindsight one from the 80s. So. Yeah, the one in the 80s is the worst, like, by far. Uh... Uh, but it holds a special place in my heart just because I was young and single digits in age at the time. Well, what's nice about 2012 is it kind of mixes the original show and the what was the uh, the second show 2002 ish 2000. It mixes those two shows up into something that's really great and really well written, but still brings in all, lots of classic characters and stuff and plays on nostalgia and they even cross over with the original turtles which is fun <laughs> and also works out because uh both casts sh share one voice actor <laughs> that's nice yeah uh. Uh. yeah he voices a different turtle <laughs> Yeah, he was originally <laughs> Raph, and he's Donatello in the 2012 show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, there's something uh, in the chat. Uh, is there a market for adult-oriented TMNT? And by which I mean, no, we're not talking about... Uh, we're not talking about that one. No, I'm not reading that sentence. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, this was this was a thing that actually happened, and it sucked. And I don't want to bring it up by acknowledging that sentence. Uh, I'm gonna have to ask wanna... about this later, but I will keep it off the podcast. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go go look up like the Oprah interview for turtles coming out of their shells. Uh, it's weird. It's really off-putting. Yeah, that sounds weird. And I think that the, the irony is that like adult-oriented TMNT is where the brand originated, but mostly in the form of horrific violence, uh, which is the, the all-American form of the adult entertainment. Yeah, I mean it was yeah. it, uh, because originally the TMNT was like very much a parody of underground comics, and those were obligately sexual and violent. So, I mean, wasn't it also like a parody spinoff of Daredevil? It wasn't a spinoff. The Turtles, uh, or like mutated origin by the same stuff that, gave, that gave Daredevil yeah. his um, yeah. his uh, blind sight or tremor sense, and that's why yeah. the enemy was the Foot Clan while while Daredevil yeah, had the hand. Instead of the hand. And the yeah. the other thing about it that's worth noting is that uh, like. Frank Miller, who was the guy who wrote the Daredevil books that uh, that put that character on the map, was also beloved in the underground comic scene at the time. And so they, it was essentially the closest thing Marvel had to an underground comic. Uh, and so you look into... So, like, TMNT is, like, a parody of everything that underground comics were and cared about, and that meant of course that it was ridiculous that it was full of ridiculous violence um i believe the shredder gets his head chopped off in the first issue um <laughs> yeah it's it's wild um and there's there's a lot if you want hmm? more violent turtles watch uh the 
uh, Ninja Turtles versus Batman animated movie, which features you could also... a decapitation among other things. If you so, want, it's just still like PG thirteen, but yeah, it's definitely more violent. If you want, like adult, uh, like turtles for adults, even if it's less uh, lurid than the the description given. Uh, I, I would say actually a really good recent take on that was the last Ronin, uh, yes. which was a was yeah, which is a like what if take of like. A hundred years from now, only one of the Ninja Turtles survives. He's kind of using all their weapons, and he's haunted by the uh, by the uh, regrets of the death of his brothers. And it's it's a really interesting thing. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I think that there's uh, there's definitely like the the thing that makes the Ninja Turtles continue to have relevance across so many different variations is that. Uh, there is not a set tone that the Ninja Turtles must have. Uh, and so I think that you could probably make just about any variation of them work if you were good enough at it. Uh, I, I'm remembering something um, for, I'm not sure, remember why exactly, but I do follow Beat on Twitter. At yeah. one point, he was going off on every, about how useless it was. Everyone was trying to reinvent 1980s or early 90s cartoons for a new audience. And then he said, mm -hmm. but I'll carve out a special exception for the Turtles, Ninja Turtles, because they've been doing that like every five years. So they're cool. Yeah, <laughs> they, there's, there's a few. Just like, everyone just likes the concept. It's a great concept. Work with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, you know, the the lack of rigidity in terms of, like, you know, turtles who are ninjas, that's fun, that's silly, uh, that's that's a ridiculous concept. You don't have to, you don't have to be beholden to any other aspect of any other version. You can add more, you can replace them, you can change their team dynamic, you can change their personalities, you can change whether the public knows about them or likes them. You can uh, mm -hmm. like move them to the future. You can send them to the past. You can uh, cross them over with the Wild West Cowboys of Mumesa. Who gives a shit? Doesn't matter. Uh, the only Wait, requirement. Did they actually do that? Yeah, that that did happen. Uh, oh, okay. I missed that one. Uh, you uh, like you can have a Japanese company make an OVA about them. You can uh, do them in live action. You can do them in animation. You can make them puppets. Uh, like the the Ninja Turtles, by virtue of not being uh, beholden to any specific idea of what they must be, have given themselves. They have just enough of a sketch that you can uh, that they're they are recognizably the same, but not so rigid that you can't just be like, yeah, I'm just gonna do my own thing. They're uh, they're all different kinds of turtles in this new one. Like I, I really liked the concept that Rise went with uh, that Rise of the TMNT from a few years back went with of like, oh yeah, they're all different kinds. Like the the designs have been redone to make them uh, less physically similar. So they're like Raph is this hulking, physically imposing beast of a man, uh, and they're all different kinds of turtles uh, that have, take in, influence from specific like. Oh, this one's a box turtle. This one's, you know, like that sort of thing. That's that's cute. Um, does TMNT three matter? 
No, not in the sense of like, you know, you can still do plenty of time traveling turtle storylines and people still dig up. <laughs> no, that movie uh, doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about, Fireman. I mean, it's fine that it exists. It didn't hurt anything other than it be bad and me. disappoint children. It hurt me. I was a child. Wheels, you are now over 40 years old. It's time to move on. Um, not my mom but, no I'm not but at the same time I think she would give the same advice um, 38 but, yeah. so I can whine about it all I want no that just makes it sadder um, let's see uh, but yeah it's uh, it's it's an interesting uh, like the Turtles are in a good place. You can you can do plenty with them, but you have a good template to work from. And hey, uh, as long as you're doing it right and you last long enough, you get to cross over with Usagi Yojimbo at some point. Mm-hmm. Yay. Everyone should... Uh, if, you, if you've never actually read it, go, go read some Usagi Yojimbo. It's great. Uh... Uh, hopefully, hopefully, many, uh, hopefully, Stan Sakai will be around for many more years. Uh, uh, God, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd never actually read this out uh, before, and it's uh, like truly a nightmare. Uh, from 1993 through t- uh, 2005, Stan Sakai received 21 Eisner Award nominations. Wow. Uh, mm. Yeah, just uh, just all sorts of uh, just all sorts of uh, awards to that man, and all of them well earned. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I think that uh, ho- hopefully we can continue to have. A, mil- uh, a million different Ninja Turtles. Uh, normally, I'm super against something coming back uh, just to play on uh, nostalgia. I was like, I was bothered by being like spoon-fed Gen X and Boomer nostalgia as a child, being forced to pretend to care about like live-action Flintstones or whatever the fuck. Uh, <laughs> but Ninja Turtles gets away with it because. Every like the new Ninja Turtles shows are never trying to convince me, uh, are, are never trying to convince children. You should care about 1980s Ninja Turtles, <laughs> and thus mm-hmm. they are okay. Sure. The new ones get to be for the kids. Yep, which I think was pretty much the same point Beat was trying to make, except he did it in all caps and possibly with some vulgarity. Oh, yeah, oh plenty. That's standard, no, that's, that's why we love them. Standard operation. <laughs> yes. Procedure. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's uh once you w- once you try to make it something about like ah oh, it's the old one just like from your childhood my response is fuck my childhood that shit sucked move on uh which mm-hmm. is why I'm like giving intense side eye to X-Men 97. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't don't want like children of today to get spoon-fed my nostalgia. Fuck that shit. When when do we get some Ninja Turtle games that are based on nostalgia? For a different show, please. 
Well, probably in about 10 years. I don't even care if it's nostalgia for that terrible live-action show. <laughs> I don't think that, like, that's never going to come back. You're never going to hear anyone yeah, with care. control of the brand allowing them to acknowledge Venus de Milo again. I'm just saying, I want to see a Ninja Turtles game not based around those, please. And thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, more specifically, uh, just their own iteration of the Ninja Turtles, which I'd like to see more of that. Mm. You get the you get similar advantages to something like Batman Arkham, where it's like, oh, you can just like there's enough mythos here that you can just sort of paint in your own stuff, or like the PS4 Spider-Man, like. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. enough here that you can just sort of take what you want from various versions and have that uh, be perfectly usable. Uh, the joy of Spider-Man is to see him struggle in his daily life, but does anyone actually care or like to see him go through marital troubles? Isn't uh, that the kind of thing that got us one more day? Uh, that was specifically Ugh. that Joe Casada didn't want to feel old. Um Ugh. Yeah, but I mean, it's like he he thought having a Spider-Man with more adult and mature issues, like dealing with marital problems, was less exciting than young teenage Spider-Man having to, or bachelor Spider-Man, something like that. I've seen it phrased like that at least. Yeah, that's basically like realistically the thing that comes that shows up through every interview, regardless of what he's actually saying, is that he just didn't like the idea of Spider-Man being married because it made Spider-Man seem old. Like not even the problems he was having, just oh, he seems old because he's married now. Uh, and because uh, had some brain yep. worms. Uh, That's real dumb. Yeah. So. I I feel like the the thing that I like. Oh god. Oh no! Just like that's what made me think of mm. it. What, yeah, what, what I, feel, okay. I feel like well, go ahead, go. the thing the thing that I like about Married Spider-Man is that it gives like one of the things that's nice about, you know, having people in your life that you care about is that he's always like no matter, like, the the misery of Spider-Man is, like, always kind of a concern, because, like, Spider-Man is a person who, like, exemplifies the notion of doing good even though it hurts and it's hard. And having him be married does open, like, marital strife storylines, which I'm not personally huge on, though, it, like, my opinion barely matters because I don't read comics consistently. But it does open up the notion of like, well, no matter what, there's still something in his life that is good. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that can be useful and a good counterbalance to the relentless misery of being Spider-Man. <laughs> it, it, sometimes uh, it sure seems Wheels like has... a lot of fandom wants misery porn more than anything else. Yeah. I'm sure Wheels has a more nuanced opinion on this. Uh I mean, not really, though I'm still burnt by that stupid storyline that tore them apart, and they've done some even stupider things. Well, not even stupider. They've done some more stupid things recently that are annoying. Like, hey, Mary Mary Jane got stuck in a pocket dimension where it 
where he only spent a few days to get back there and save her, but it was a few years past in there, and now she's with some other guy. That's stupid. I remember reading a little bit about that one, and like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But thankfully, I mean, that's I... not really a focus of the story. They're doing a whole gang war that's a lot more interesting, so I haven't been... At least we don't have to deal with it that much. <laughs> haven't had to be mad at it in a bit, so that's good. Yeah, eventually they'll pick at that scab again. Yeah. Um, was I going to say something about it? I fuck. I had a memory of like, I was I was forcibly reminded of one of if one of the worst Spider-Man storylines a few days ago, and I'm gonna say mm -hmm. its name, and then Wheels is gonna have to. It, Wheels will probably recoil in horror if he remembers its name, uh, because I was reminded of the existence of Sin's past. Oh, which one is that? Sin's past is the storyline where they went uh, where they retconned in the notion that uh, before Gwen Stacy died, she had had an affair and children with Norman Osborn. Oh, I was, I, I was wondering if that was the story. I don't uh, remember the name. Why? <laughs> and also, Originally, how? <laughs> how? Uh, originally, J. Michael Straczynski presented the storyline on the basis that it would be a storyline where Peter found out that he and Gwen Stacy had had the, the the children were supposed to be Peters. Like that was the original concept. And Casada mm -hmm. bounced it on the notion that that would make Peter seem old. Uh, of course. As, as well as uh, <sighs> the the other argument that he had was that he did not want to present the notion that Spider-Man, that, that Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy had irresponsibly had unprotected sex. <laughs> but apparently so was fine angry. with the notion of that happening yeah. with Norman Osborn. I'm so, so very angry right now. <laughs> I'm sorry I did this to you, Neil. So yeah, uh, Spider-Man Spider has had some problems. <laughs> Dealing with like as as all all superheroes eventually run into this issue of the only people who have jobs determining what a superhero comic is doing are people who care significantly too much, and people who care significantly too much have extremely weird priorities. Mm hmm. I don't want Spider-Man to look too old, so let's make him be a dumbass instead. How about that? <laughs> what if he was just really really fucking stupid? Uh, yeah, there was a one of the things that uh, one of the things that since one more day uh, was pushed on them by editorial fiat. J. Michael Straczynski originally wanted to use it to decanonize since past, and for some reason was not allowed to. <laughs> Of course he wasn't. Uh, what a what a time! What a time! Uh, but yeah, um, be mo moving on before I eventually like accidentally detonate wheels of soul. Um, uh, I'm just gonna have to go and. Uh... 
read the newest issue of the current and very good Spider Gwen series to cleanse my palate. Oh hell yeah! The one that I thought was going to be up. dumb is actually awesome. That's good. Because it, it's yeah. doing the exact thing I kept screaming about. Show me Gwen's world and cool things happening in Gwen's world. Well, guess what? Her band's going on tour and cool things are happening. You get to see That's different what I versions want. of characters. That. Like, hey, here's this world's version of Black Widow. And stuff nice. like that. It's great. Highly recommend. Fire Miner also saying Man. read Spider-Man. Yes, yes, I... I I've bought all the issues now. I'm going to read it, particularly because the writer is going to be at my local comic shop next month. Oh, nice. If you've read them, you can decide whatever your issue you like the most and get it signed. Yes. But I, did, I did not love the first issue, but I'm just going to read the whole thing. I believe I'm in sure, you. I'm sure it's good. I trust Fireminer. Hmm. Uh, how would a game starring Cable and the X-Force look? I don't know enough about Cable or X-Force to say. Do you have opinions on this, Wheels? Um, I do. Cable or X-Force. <laughs> Joe, you can also try I'm picturing like, um, a shootery game with RPG elements, perhaps with loot drops. And... Oh, God, it's Borderlands. No! <laughs> no! No, no, no. Like, Let no. me finish. That's Let me Destiny. finish. And um, no, not Destiny. No offline mode. It's it's going to be an all online game. No. And you're this going to Destiny. you're, you're going to kill um, the Avengers because oh god, it's too you motherfucker. <laughs> because they've been taken over by um, Doctor Doom. There you go. Uh, god. Uh, My no, opinion is that Cable is awesome. Game would be cool. <laughs> I mean, that you can't really do Cable without guns. I don't yeah. feel like so. That's uh, like uh, a, a cool third-person shooter. Yeah. Nothing too, I mean, too complicated. If, if there if there had been a sequel to the Deadpool game, it should have been a Cable and Deadpool game. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that would be my thought process. But what if it is a Cable and Deadpool game, and it's two-player co-op? Third person. Yeah, that's what I would action that's what I would assume. Yeah, yeah. I want X Force. I want to be able to play as Domino. That'll be yeah. the that'll be the DLC seasons. No, <laughs> no, I want it in the main game. No DLC. <laughs> DLC seasons wheels live service. DLC D's nuts. But then what D's if D's nuts? <laughs> What if Cable goes into the future and has to fight like an evil, deranged version of his father? That'd be cool. How do I get a how do I get a video game adaptation of that one Deadpool comic where he just like wanders into a like sixties issue of Spider Man and gets really confused? <laughs> how does that bad. work as a game? <laughs> That's probably just another Deadpool game. <laughs> Uh, and Fireminer also says, and am I right to think that the more Cable shows up, the less impactful he is as a character? That's that's true of any character who's like from a weird future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, certainly Cable, no exception there. Wheels, what do you want from a Venom game? Um, I would like a another Spider-Man game like the Insomniac Spider-Man games, just built around Venom's, only Venom's powers. 
and also I think you might be, end up getting that. Also, for it to be a smaller, more bite-sized game on the scale of the Miles Morales game. Hmm. Wonder if there's a reason that you might be thinking in these terms. And then, I would like that game to actually not exist and just be a Silk game instead. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. What about Madam What? No, I can't finish uh, that joke. Oh, <laughs> God. Uh, that movie sounds deranged uh, and like so many mangled. weird articles about that movie, and it's just like, well, this is surely this is clear proof that we're in superhero fatigue. No, people don't want shit. They are not going to eat your shit. Okay, you can't put out shit and and then say, oh, well, there's superhero fatigue. No, no, they're we're not stupid. Movie fatigue. We're not fucking stupid. God. Mm. So Across the Spider-Verse did like a billion dollars. Like there's still plenty of people yes. willing, willing to watch superhero movies that are good. Like, mm-hmm. They can see into the future. That's so Madam Web. I also saw another order. Uh, annoying thing where it's like, well, I guess you know, this makes, you know, the the Marvels look different, right? Like, no, that movie was great and fun and you you people are just stupid. People are stupid. One one of this one writing acquaintance I still, for some reason, have contact with on Facebook, um, (laughs) he was going off the other day about how he was certain that the Marvels had been outlined by an AI um, chat GPT style thing. I'm like, dude, like okay so yes it does not follow the marvel formula that too closely but that's a good thing and i'm not quite sure what the hell you're thinking of here describing it like this uh, i'm like the the, like, the most you could say is that like mo like any modern movie it was outlined by someone who had read save the cat that's it <laughs> yeah that's a hardly like, unique sin <laughs> yeah it's like it i mean i would agree that it doesn't feel a lot like some of the other Marvel movies, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, um, I like I liked it a lot better than a lot of the Marvel movies in Phase 4. Yeah. Um, Familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah. I liked Ant-Man Quantumania. I thought it was great. I it thought was it was awesome. fun. It, it was it's, a Fantastic Four movie without the Fantastic Four. It's, one of, it's, one of the four. I haven't seen. it's yeah. great. Yeah. It's very good. I, I, I need... Unfortunately, for... Um, for scheduling reasons, I was not able to get to the theater for Quantumania or um, Multiverse of Madness. And since Disney has not been licensing any movies for rentals since... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Um, since um, Infinity War, or Endgame, the only Marvel movies we've been able to rent have been Spider-Man, and that's it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so... I am. Uh, I'm going to. I've got an uh, four and a half year old on my lap now. Hello. <laughs> okay. I'm going to put forward the thing that I wish to see adapted into a Marvel movie, and um, what, it is. What would that be? It is in the chat, and I want you. I want Wheels to look at it right now. Oh dear! What do we got? In the Discord. <laughs> You are looking at a uh, very bad, bad rip of the uh, title card to Fred and Barney Meet the Things 
a package oh, no. show that packaged together random ass episodes of uh, the Flintstones and uh, and segments featuring the thing. What was it? Legitimate uh, uh, Fantastic Four thing, or was it the Thing Ring Do Your Thing cartoon that I cannot remember? I believe it is the Thing Ring Do Your Thing cartoon. Oh dear, no! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just an incredible artifact, a truly deranged object. It's even funnier. uh, Yeah. To. Hey, like, even the four and a half year old thinks this is funny. Ha-ha. <laughs> my personal favorite. <laughs> my personal favorite version of this was uh, that there was yet another deranged version of this. A 90-minute package that had the new Fred and Barney show, the thing, and the new schmoo. The what? The new Shmoo. Shmoo was a character spun from largely forgotten uh, institution of the comics, uh, of the newspaper comics page, Lil Abner. <laughs> and just, just a programming block that could only come from we have from 90 hell? minutes of airtime. <laughs> Uh, we have 90 minutes of airtime to fill and no desire to come up with any reason as to why these things should be put together. Oh my god. But just just beautiful. Uh, I, I, Hanna-Barbera for a long period had essentially control of time slots with no reason to care about any particular show and to just put things together for no reason. <laughs> Oh, that reminds and me, we are definitely got our Fantastic Four live-action cast. Oh, yeah, that did happen. Yeah. I don't care about the Fantastic Four. <laughs> Which is a sad thing to say, but the last three movies have not really helped. Yeah. Uh, listen, well, okay? Listen. Is it, listen, is it John Krasinski? No, it's, no, it's not. Pedro it's Pascal. Pedro Pascal. Which is a good casting. I like Pedro Pascal. Uh, he's fine, yeah. I think it's better casting, sorry. Fine, but I, I don't care about the Fantastic Four, but I like him. I'm so angry with you guys right now. Why cur- should I care the about current, the Stretchy Man? The Tell current, me, real. The current run of the comic is some of the best, like comic writing I've read in years. Like, remember that time that Marvel was yeah, like very specifically trying to pretend the Fantastic Four didn't exist because they didn't have the movie rights to them? Yes. Yep. <laughs> and also, the last three movies were awful. Which is why everyone is trying very hard not to get their hopes up. Fan, fan for like I, I I think it would be incredible if this one sucked shit too. That would be so funny to me. And I'm sorry because I'm sure that would hurt Wheels to his soul. But it would be extremely funny to me if they like went to all this trouble trying to bring the Fantastic Four to the screen, and it comes out and it just fucking falls on its face again. <laughs> I mean, the first the first of those movies was actually almost very good. It had, like, good casting. I mean, they had the actor who ended up playing Captain America as the Human Torch, which was great casting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the, the story sucks, and the guy they got to play Doctor Doom sucks shit. So... 
I had fun watching the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. That's because Neither it have wasn't I, but... officially released, but it's extremely funny. <laughs> it's like, it was, what was it? Supposedly it was made just to satisfy a requirement that they be, have something in production to hold on to rights. Alleged, like, there's, there are different opinions, like, different people say different things. Roger Corman himself, I believe, always claimed that it was supposed to come out. But various people, but, like, certainly people at Marvel believed that it was being that they made it only so that they could say we uh have exercised we have exercised the necessary um uh, we have done the necessary to retain rights in our contract uh, yeah the, that's not a great movie it kind of it, it's not as bad as its reputation but it's also very it's, entertaining <laughs> i mean it's a roger corman movie he was not there to have a lot of Quality. He was just there to do stuff, and it was somehow interesting in spite of itself. I wouldn't even it say in spite of itself. It was it was the kind of thing that happens because someone is being allowed to do something with little expectation, uh, mm -hmm. and so you you get you get weirder swings when there's no expectations of you. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but I mean yeah. that kind of describes everything that Corman ever made. Mm -hmm. It's like. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, in spite of itself. Yeah. It's a uh, very low budget, but it's, it's, it is honestly a, a decent time if you just enjoy weird, weird-ass old comic movies made on a budget of whatever someone had in their pocket at the time. Uh, uh, God. Uh, I'm like that's 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 uh, to me the high water mark of uh, Fantastic Four films at this moment. <laughs> okay, so we've got a few. And that things. would be so so more so funnier if that were not an actual reality to be saddened by. We've mm -hmm. uh. got a few questions to hit um, in the chat. Uh, one thing you learn when studying marketing is that familiarity breeds contempt and overexposure leads to a painful death for IP. Now that studios just hand out licenses to consumer product manufacturers to get paid, but should they think more on whether they're diluting their brands? Yes. Uh, I remember mm -hmm. reading a research paper years ago about the effectiveness of Evangelion licensed toiletries. The increase in sales was negligible, and the brand Evangelion itself actually saw a de decrease in its ability to grab attention. Yeah, I mean, if you're seeing something everywhere, it no longer grabs your attention because you can't pay attention to everything. Uh, and of course, there's just the f fact that like, oh, I no longer associate this with a quality product. <laughs> uh, is, is a very, it, it, that's a very bad thing to have happen. Uh, because you have a lot of power when people just assume Oh, your whatever you put out will be good. You have a ton of power in that situation to get people to try things that they might otherwise have assumed they wouldn't want to try. Uh, and once that's gone, you it's very hard to get it back. Uh, let's see. And one more. Uh, should more games tackle sexual hang-ups? Or is it too mundane and depressing a topic? I don't think it's too mundane or depressing. I think it's more an issue of how do you gamify that in a way that is not horrendously puerile. Uh, 
Uh, I think that it's one of those things that you can do. Uh, the things things in the indie space can do it. Uh, things outside them generally can't. Uh, tri AAA is never going to. It's basically never going to touch it because it limits the market. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the the bigger issue you'd run into, even from an indie space, is how do you gamify that? What what, what does that mean? Uh, like, certainly there are games that uh, tackle them in non-traditional ways. I mean, like, it is not a secret to say that uh, parts of Silent Hill 2 are about James's sexual hang-ups. That is, that is an ongoing theme in that video game. Uh, but, you know, that's... It's heavily contextual. Uh, it's interesting. It enriches that game. It enriches that character. Uh, but, you know, you have to have an uncommon amount of subtlety. Uh, and you, you really can't... Like, it's it's very hard to uh, work it in as more than a background element. Because once it enters the forefront, it uh, there's a lot of ways to fuck it up. And it's very hard to gamify it. So... Uh, one of those things, uh, be careful when touching the stove. Uh, in which scenario can you take a character, one of their defining character? Yeah, I don't think we can do, I don't think you can do that. Uh, I, I don't even, I wouldn't even, dis I, I'm skipping the, the rest of this question because it's just one of those things that's like, this is getting further into stuff that, like, it's not out of the question for us to discuss, but it's one of those things it's like, man, I don't, I don't got this in me. Uh, but uh, I, I think that it's one of those things that like, it's not depressing, but it's hard to convince the audience to take it seriously. And I'll leave it at that. Um, okay. Uh, it's it, like, there are, I guess I'll expand this out. There are subject matters that in real life are deep problems for people, or they are mm -hmm. problems that affect people's mental well being, but which, because of the state of society as a whole and how, we've, how we react to certain things, the response is to th that bringing it up in media is inherently a joke and you got to be kind of superlative at setting expectations for your audience in order to m avoid doing that and i can't think of many uh games that could manage that and we'll uh, like just just in general there's a lot uh, there are a lot of subject matters like this uh that you know serious thing in real life uh, but, you know, you, uh, because of general discomfort, you know, being reflected in this conversation, some of these things I don't want to talk about, like general discomfort with talking about them means that the only way you can bring them up is if you are cutting through that discomfort. And the easiest way to cut through discomfort is joking. Uh, and so when you put all of those things together, you run into, uh, like this issue of, this, this, the script and mechanics for a game built around that kind of subject matter of something that makes people uh, uncomfortable. Uh, but 
without turning the thing that makes people uncomfortable into the butt of a joke is very difficult. And it's it's a hell of a it is a it's a hell of a needle to thread, and mm -hmm. I I just don't see it ever entering a mainstream context. Okay, um, to hit this next one, including DQ, Star Ocean, and Quintet Games, how big were the games published by Enix in the '90s? You might know this one better uh, simply because uh, um, they probably had more of a uh, presence in Japan, but. I was going to say, he just kind of named all the ones that kept Enix surviving. Mm. So, uh... Yeah, because he brings up, were there many people who played EVO, King Arthur, or Brain Lord? Uh, well, there's a reason, at least in the West, there's a reason that Enix America just closed up shop for about five years there. I have played Brain Lord. I mm. know I have beaten Brain Lord. All I remember is that it has magic jades. I don't remember anything else about this game, except I have, in fact, beaten it. Yeah, I, I think that it's one of those things that, like, it did have... Uh, I, I think EVO, at least in retrospect, has a fairly solid cult following, but I don't... I, I mean, there's a reason that none of these have sequels beyond their Super Nintendo iterations. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is that, like, I think for NX themselves, it was a pretty low-risk operation... Because, like, games were cheap, and they didn't develop things internally. They were a publisher. Yep. Uh, Which is how, the, like, Quintet operated with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were they were Quintet's publisher. Uh, Quintet developed things, Enix published them. Every, uh, everyone went home happy. Uh, but, because yeah. they didn't Enix really acquire Square as a in-house thing, and then Square kind of took them over from the inside out? That's how it went. Uh, like the Square Enix merger is one of those things that it, it was always hard for me to get like decent information about it. Uh, I, I just know that Enix was actually the dominant partner in the merger, supposedly. Oh they, yeah, they they, they would have been the more Square financially Square. healthy at the time. Yeah. Uh, but they they never had internal development, and you can you can tell that because like even after the the merger, Dragon Quest was still farmed out to other companies. Until ten, uh, like that was just how they operated, uh, and you can see the like general. You you can see the growing pains of those two managerial styles clashing over the entire course of the t uh, of the two thousands and even into the twenty tens, uh, as you see like uh, var various. Uh, the, the kinds of weird things that Square used to make kind of go away because uh, the, the people who managed a publisher that have a better that seemingly had a better understanding of how to sell a game uh, to some extent uh, were like, why are you spending money on this? Uh, and, you know, then you get uh, Square's in, internals uh, sort of ultimately uh, finding some degree of influence with uh, Annex to start finally moving games that they own in-house. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I, it, it doesn't sound like Annex is... Uh, it doesn't sound like any of the things that Annex was producing uh, in Japan 
were particularly uh, more successful. It's just that, you know, you can kind of get away with a lot when you're just, when you have Dragon Quest in your back pocket. <laughs> but, let's see. Uh, do you expect Spike Chunsoft to surprise you anymore? I don't think I ever expected them to surprise me. <laughs> uh, no, visual novels uh, and Sheeran sounds good. They, they, they are. They have their bread and butter. They do their adventure games. They do, uh, they do their roguelikes, and they generally keep a low, but a relatively low budget in the modern space. That's probably healthy. Uh, it. Uh, the, one of the nice things about maintaining focus on things like uh, adventure games and mystery dungeons is. If one of them tanks, your entire company doesn't go down with it. Mm -hmm. It's uh, something I feel like more publishers could learn from at this stage. Uh, but, uh, can we talk about attempts to merge RTS with third-person per action game? I remember Giants Citizen Kabuto oh. and Guilty Gear 2 Overture. I do remember those. Oh, God. What were those? Uh, as mentioned... That's really a bad idea. Uh, attempts to merge uh, RTS games and guilty and uh, action games. Uh, I mean, we kind of still see this occasionally. Pikmin Four is an attempt to merge RTS with like some with, with some more like traditional action elements. It's just less action on your part, but you know, still kind of an exploratory action game that also has RTS in it. It still happen. Uh, Giant Citizen Kabuto was weird. We'll go with weird. Yeah. Wheels, you sounded like you had some experience with this. I think it was the Mac port of it. Ah. It's a weird game. Mm -hmm. like, it's a real weird for game. For that one particularly, it relied on a weird multiplayer setup where you're going to have like some people playing an RTS and the you're giving units, you're giving orders to actual players moving like those units. It was a cool idea. But... Yeah. yeah. I might be thinking of some other game, actually. There was a game like uh, that. Mm -hmm. Can't believe you're thinking of Battle Engine Aquila. Don't know what that is. But sure. Uh... So it's another thing that was like the the gameplay was sort of framed as like being a unit in someone else's RTS or whatever. Mm. But uh, yeah, uh, Giant Citizen Kabuto was made by a quirky little studio called uh, Planet Moon, who uh, had spun off from uh, the division of shiny entertainment that made uh, MDK and I remember them mostly because I played Armed and Dangerous on the Xbox which is a cute quirky little third person shooter is that the same team that made Sacrifice? I believe that RTS. they were different teams from within the okay. uh, within shiny but uh. <sighs> Shiny was always a team of ups and downs for for every uh, MDK. You would have to sit through a wild nine, but you know, 
Some interesting people came out of that. Don't play Wild 9, that game fucking sucks. Um... But... Yeah. Um... Let's see... Speaking of Giants, that game is one of the few games that use evolution as a mechanic, like EVO and Spore. Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, will SOCOM ever come back? Well, Sony's fucking murdered Zipper Interactive, so they would have to find another company to do it. Uh, I, I feel like the time for that specific kind of game is largely gone. But, I mean, I've seen weirder things come back, and I could totally see, like, someone floating a SOCOM live service game. Uh, the oh man, we're getting to the, we're getting to the deep weeds. We're getting to mist mist discussion. Oh god. Oh mist. Okay. Wheels, how do you feel about Mist Four Revelation? I haven't really played it. <laughs> I only played um, I only played through Riven, so I didn't mm -hmm. know there was a fourth one. Yeah, there's actually there's Mist One through Five, and then there's Uru. Uh, I believe there's an online, an offline version of, but there's also like a, there was a pseudo MMO uh, called Uru Live Missed Online. Uh, but yeah, you make so an MMO I, out of Mist. Uh, I don't know because I was not quite insane enough to attempt to play it. Uh, Riven and Mist 3 were fine games for what they tried to do, but why did Ubisoft soldier on with Mist 4 and 5 while the sales of the previous two entries were not that impressive? Did they just forget Uru? Uh, it was an IP that they owned. Uh, it didn't cost a ton of money to make. <laughs> I think that's that's really it. Um, you can tell uh, the time that Mist 4 would have been made was before Ubisoft uh, Montreal had become... Uh, their uh had become their superstar studio because they are because that is the listed developer on Mist Four, uh, Revelation. Well, wow, that's a waste. I mean, it's, I'm sure they made a fine puzzle game. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like you know, it, Mist was not a super expensive prospect. Uh, you know. Like rendering, like they they had an art budget and a puzzle budget. They didn't have a lot of programming budget. They didn't take an enormous amount of money to make. Mm -hmm. They had a loyal fan base. I think that was enough for the time being. There was uh, a, there was a good enough return on investment prognosis to keep it going for a while. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then we get we, and they they sort of knew that the the sell by date was being approached at some point because. Uh, like Mist Five is called End of Ages. It is a canonical ending to the Mist storyline. Uh, yeah, uh, it's one of those things that, like, it, it really is hard to overstate that, like, the original Mist and to a lesser extent Riven did really tremendous numbers in terms of how they sold, and so. There would have also been internally some desire to like, can we get that back? Can we can we bring people back? And the answer was no, no, you cannot. But uh, you know, you you can sort of see why like a relatively 
like a not super expensive project with a recognizable name uh, that might revive interest in what was like a tremendous seller. You can you can see why they'd take a couple cracks at that. Uh, the... oh, that's a weird one to think about. Uh, how hard is it for an up-and-coming dev to break into the Tamagotchi-like uh, scene? I feel like games such as Nexon and Cassette Beasts were barely a blip on anyone's radar. Does this come down to the lack of money for marketing towards casual players? We've seen not so long ago how big Pokemon's marketing budget is. I mean, marketing's a big deal, but I think it's also just like, People like the idea of a digital pet, but then you tell them that it'll sometimes shit itself to death and they lose interest very quickly. Like, there's a reason Tom was a fad. The issue with challenging a dominant game in any genre is the fact that that dominant game already fits the main niche of the genre. Yeah, so. you're... Like, what are you bringing that people would use to play... would play you over the thing that they already know? Yeah. And that's why it's... Whenever and like an MMORPG says it's setting out to like be the next World of Warcraft, there is a World of Warcraft already. Thank you. You're competing um, with it. It's eighteen. It's twenty years old. I mean, World of Warcraft's the. If you want to make a new, improved World of Warcraft, you make another expansion of World of Warcraft. Like yeah, it's like. And how do you compete with Pokemon? You have to find some way that's not Pokemon, and compete mm -hmm. in that. Like Pal you have to, you have to do something, yeah. Pal and it turns out that really the answer competing to competing with Pokemon. Pal World no, is actually it's... just a survival game. Yeah, it's just a survival yeah, game. Yeah, but it's it's, it, it attempted to set itself up as that mm -hmm. while it doing did, something yes. completely different. So, so that it was not actually competing with Pokemon for style, or actually for gameplay, but a bit for audience. Hmm. You can you can draw draw in the most glistening shards of hatred in the pers uh, in the Pokemon fandom. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna hit a couple more and then probably call it a night. Um, had Boku no Natsu Yasumi uh, been localized, how big would the Western fan be? I think it would just be kind of a cult classic for those. Who have not uh, experienced it? Boku no Natsu Yasumi, uh, basically just meaning my summer vacation, is uh, yeah. It's it would probably have appealed to the same kind of person who play Animal Crossing for years, um, mm -hmm. but it would have never had the marketing budget to become the kind of success that Animal Crossing has become. Uh, it's it's very charming and uh, it's it's nice. Uh, the some of them are fan translated now, but it's it's a very uh, it's it's a game about relaxing basically. Um, and relaxing nostalgia. It, it was always going to be somewhat of a harder sell than something like uh, uh, than something like uh, Animal Crossing because. Uh, the abstraction in Animal Crossing gives it a certain universality, whereas uh, may just pull up something to make sure that I'm checking something right. Can I get this? Okay, yeah. Uh, whereas, like uh, Boku no Natsu Yasumi uh, has a certain degree of 
uh, a, spe a specificity of nostalgia that is about being a 10-year-old in 1975. <laughs> not necessarily... Uh, uh, not necessarily... Uh, uh, literally, but certainly, like, that idea of, like, what a, what being a young boy in Japan on, in the summer is, is, uh, built into its DNA in a very specific way that would have, uh, limited its audience even among the Slow Life games. But, uh, I mean, I'll always appreciate that, uh, Millennium Kitchen and, uh, Kazuhiro, Kazuhiro Ayabe, uh, were, relatively uh, specific in the feelings that they were attempting to evoke, but, you know, would have limited it to a, even more of a cult audience than some other slow-life games here, just because of the somewhat unapproachable form of nostalgia. Let's see. Had Onimusha, Devil May Cry, and Resident Evil become OG Xbox exclusive, just how big would that console be in Japan? I think it would have just tanked those game sales in Japan. Uh, <laughs> and could that have happened? No. Uh, in other words, why was Capcom convinced that only Gaijin wanted to play uh, Steel Battalion? Um, that one, I, I have no... Like, there's some weird business deals that go on with uh, Steel Battalion, because that's also partnership game where a few other company a few companies work on it um like obviously capcom but also nude maker works on it uh microsoft publishes it in japan so they probably foot it not in japan in europe so they probably footed at least some of the money for it uh so uh capcom had like this thing uh, at the time where they sort of wanted to support all of the consoles and so they did uh, they had different franchises for each of them and Resident Evil was the GameCube franchise and uh like only spin-offs would show up on other things and the uh PS2 got Onimusha and Devil May Cry and the Xbox got Dino Crisis and we kind of saw what happened here which is the like it just killed Dino Crisis stone dead uh, like Dino, Dino Crisis 3 like has flaws of its own but you know uh, and like being a game about dinosaurs in space was always going to be a hard sell but uh, you know I, I think that the answer is that if those games had been original Xbox exclusive those franchises would have been just wrecked in terms of their capacity to sell in Japan like you would need a critical mass of just tons of games to have sold that console in Japan, and there just was never going to be that. Uh, so yeah, I suppose that's the answer for could that have happened. I don't. I don't think there was a world where there was enough uh, money being thrown around to convince uh, Capcom to toss uh, any. Uh, all or even any of those to the Xbox as exclusives uh, at any point. Like, it would have been... It would have required them to pay for essentially more than the game's budget for each of them. <laughs> but... 
Uh, hey, maybe one day people will be able to emulate uh, Dino Crisis Tree and find out that it's uh, it's a really weird game. Weird as hell. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, uh, I think we're probably we're probably good to start going, getting ready for bed. Do that. Okay. Tell me about okay, well, processes. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Well, somebody's TV show just ran out, so before I run off to uh, rectify the situation, uh, let us talk about reading material. Yay! All right. So, Lena, do you, like, do you like stories? Who doesn't like Favorite stories? Favorite book? Uh, Cinderella. You like Cinderella? Well, okay, so I don't have Cinderella available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Instead, I have <laughs> Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, which is, um, well, I guess uh, semi-related because Cinderella is sort of a princess, you know, Disney princess style. Um, so if you enjoy tabletop role-playing games, if you enjoy experiencing other people playing tabletop role-playing games in any format... Then we have Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U, because Google sucks, um, on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Okay? Yeah. okay. Also available in paperback format. Oh, yes. And in Dead Tree format. Um, working on the fifth paperback right now. Yay! Okay. I win! You win? No, I win. <laughs> look, look at me! Oh, yes, I am looking at you, yes. Okay. But they can't see you, so it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> Godspeed. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, let, let us go uh, change something, okay? Okay. Good luck. So, guys. anyway, guys, talk to you later, guys. Later. Bye. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, you can also uh, catch uh, us. We will be uh, recording. Uh, we'll, we'll have another uh, shenanigans uh, on Sunday. Sun uh, Sunday night shenanigans, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern on Sunday. Also, we normally record uh, Thursdays, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. Uh, but next week we'll be recording Wednesday so that we don't have to compete with Final Fantasy VII uh, with our attention spans versus Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. So uh, if you are if you try to catch us uh, live, that would be at twitch.tv slash askwheels on those days. Uh, thanks once again to Fireminer for providing our questions this week. If you'd like to provide questions like Fireminer does, you can catch us, while we're, uh, Twitch, uh, catch us at twitch.tv slash askwheels during a stream. Or you can contact, uh, or you can get into the uh, Pgamer uh, Discord by going to the community by going to the community tab on rpgamer.com. Uh, you also have uh, the option of leaving a comment under this very episode. But uh, otherwise, uh, I think that uh, I think that. Uh, Finishes us out for the week, so see you, Space Cowboys. See you. Yeah. Oh, hey, I thought that Joe had left earlier. Now I feel bad. I should have let him plug. Well, yeah, no, I thought you were. You can plug. 
Okay, because I thought you were going to, and then you said, and I was like, oh, what? I didn't realize you were still here. I thought you'd left. Uh, okay. No, no I, I should have left, but it's two in the morning, but yeah, um, I'm exhausted. I'm about to fall asleep, but all right, yeah, let me plug. Um, well, you know, I jumped on kind of late, too, so I didn't talk about what I've been playing. We don't have and time for that. <laughs> we don't, and, and I know, and you just went from one topic to the next real quickly there, so... I wanted to say before, just that Snake Rattle and Roll is freaking awesome. I, I like that game. Um, and I think it's neat that Switch Online is actually getting two rare games that were not in the replay collection. The SNES, Killer Instinct, and Battle Maniacs. You know? <laughs> that was cool. Um, I remember Blast Core being fun, but weird, and I couldn't beat it because there was a late game mission where I didn't know what to do. <laughs> um... And I could have sworn Banjo-Kazooie was on there already. Was it? I could have sworn that it wasn't on there yet. No, I, I I can't double check right now, but I think they added it like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Weird. I don't remember it being on there. I think it's on there. So anyways, um, yeah, I didn't want to like undermine you or anything. And, and I wasn't. Uh, yeah. And no, I don't no, have my Apparently switch. I missed it. I, I guess I just assumed that they would follow it up with Tui, which hasn't happened yet. No. Yeah. Oh. That's okay. fine. Um, yeah. So then, while we were talking, I was playing Ender Lilies, and it seems like nobody mentioned the fact that they announced a sequel during the Nintendo. No, I brought that up. We oh, did, you did. We oh. did pretty early on that. Oh, you did. All right, I didn't. I didn't catch it. All right, so I was just playing that for a little bit while you guys were talking. That's a neat uh, Souls-like kind of platformer game. Um, so I was playing that. Where can people find you? They can find me on twitch.tv slash smokingjoegamer and YouTube, smokingjoegamer. Um, so, um, yeah, I was, I was a bit lonely and hungry on Valentine's Day, and I was in the mood for a Jill sandwich. Oh. oh so I played the Resident Evil 3 remake, which I... I played through it several times when it came out. I used to be good at speedrunning it, but um, this recent attempt, I was just under three hours, and apparently that, that was a B. That wasn't even good enough for an A or an S. It's like, mm -hmm. great. So I did play that last week. Um, I did some Far Cry 5. I did some uh, Sonic 3 and Knuckles and... Not Knuckles Chaotic? No. No. Um, Welcome to the next and level in Super 32X World. And what else did I play? Hold on. Um, I streamed... What else the other day? Hang on. Oh, I, I streamed Ghost of Tsushima last night. Mm -hmm. So that's, I have that on the PS5 version of that, which is neat. Um, yes, yeah, so that's what I was live-streaming on Twitch recently. Um, on, and then some of those streams made it over to YouTube. Um, and then... I jumped into the Mega Man Legacy Collection Volume 1. Apparently I had beaten 1 and 2 and was towards the end of 3 before I gave up because I think 3 is awful. But I managed to finish that the other day. Uh, yeah. And No, I'm going to have to ask you to leave now. Goodbye. Okay, I, I didn't like Mega Man 3. Okay, fine. Um, so then um, I got the idea, like, last year I did Mario March, so this year I'm like, maybe I can do Mega Man March, so I better practice these games. So I'm not going in cold. Um, so I want to do 8 and 11 and X1 
at some point and maybe some others but i was thinking maybe i brought back sega saturdays which is why i played sonic 3 on saturday mm-hmm. so i'm like well maybe i could do the wily wars because that was on the genesis mini console i have that yeah i don't it's know i'll just switch check. online as well oh it is okay so i might do that as a Mega Man march and sega saturday and then maybe do some other Mega Man games if I feel like it. And I played one of the Battle Network games. I think the first one. I'd like to give that another go. And yeah, Marvel really vs. Capcom is eligible because Mega Man is in it. It's so true. He's in there. I can stream it. I have to play as him, I, is what I've decided. And But I would play as him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then Infinite had Mega Man X, X and yeah. Zero. Hmm. Yeah. So those are eligible games. Any game that has Mega Man in it is eligible, technically. So oh, you can know, play Onimusha Blade Warriors. Mega Man Soccer. Oops. Sure. No, right. Onimusha Blade Warriors. That one has zero on it. <laughs> those are uh, games, sure. Um, now, on YouTube, I've been trying to just expand into other things instead of just gaming and instead of just, you know, archiving the Twitch streams. So I... A few years back, I did record myself playing some guitar, which which I do periodically. But I had this one recording that I was just had always meant to upload, and and I was thinking about editing it and adding to it. It's like, nah, just do it as is. So that so I did that, and then just today on my iPhone, I started a new series called The Vinyl Guy. That was a nickname I'd used, and basically each episode, I'm just going to talk about one of my vinyl records that I have in my collection. So okay. uh, I just did. Yeah, I did a short 10-minute review of Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here, which I got a remastered vinyl edition of from back in 2011, 2012, when I first started collecting. That was the first vinyl record I bought, and it just, you know, at, at the time, it was, you know, a remaster that had come out in 2011, I bought it in 2012. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just talked about that, and I've got some other plans for that. So, yeah, I, I just, um, I mean, the Twitch streaming is, is fine. It, it can be fun, but it's not really... There's not much of an audience on there, um, but YouTube, I seem to be picking up some more momentum there, and I, and I just want to expand into stuff besides just games. So there, there are other things you can be found there. There are other things. What? Yeah, I don't believe you. <laughs> With that, uh, I am very dog tired. So yeah. see you, Space Cowboys. Good night. <laughs>